Hey Wafa, welcome to the podcast Startup Simplified. Great to have you here. Hey man, thank you so much for inviting me. Pleasure, pleasure, chief, pleasure. So let's let's jump straight into it. Uh, we will get into the details of what you've been doing as an entrepreneur. Mm. But let's start with your journey, right? I mean, what what were the ambitions of uh, Wafa in in his high school? I mean, did you did you think of becoming an entrepreneur, of having your own business? Uh, what was it growing up? And where did you grow up, by the way? I grew up in Jakarta. Uh, I did spend some time outside of Jakarta, uh, different countries, different cities within Indonesia, because my father uh, he worked at the Central Bank of Indonesia, so he moved a lot. Sure. Um, and because of that, actually, uh, early on, I was interested in the world of international relations. Okay. Yeah. So, never for a second, uh, I thought that I would become an entrepreneur. Interesting. Yeah. So this this journey is quite unexpected for me. Sure. Uh, so throughout my elementary, junior high, high school, I've always been interested in basically becoming a global citizen. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So I ended up studying political science and international relations uh, in undergrad. Sure. Uh, I actually spent a few months in the foreign service. Okay. Yep. But decided to actually make the jump to private. Uh, which country were you serving during this foreign service time? Uh, I was still basically in training. Oh, okay. In Indonesia. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, because of a few things that I discovered right during mm -hmm. my time in the service, I realized that my passion was for something that is a bit more fast-paced, basically. Yeah. Which Which year would that be, and how old were you at that time? Uh, I was 19 years old, so I, I graduated a bit early from college uh, mm -hmm. by Indonesian standards. Um, I skipped a couple of grades in elementary and junior high, so I graduated at 19 um, and then basically was in training uh, at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and also consulted for a few projects that they had. Uh, I think after about three, four months, I decided I wanted to do something a bit uh more fast pace sure and there oh, were yeah. there weren't that many options uh, at the time in Indonesia sure. this was 2011 2012 yeah. when you graduated pretty early I mean 19 uh, it's pretty early, early. yeah, yeah I mean uh, I'm, I'm the stark opposite I, I took I completed my three years uh, program in five years I failed twice <laughs> <laughs> so I think we, we have yeah opposites out here yeah. at least uh, in that space so how did it pan out for you after you decided to move away from the foreign services? What 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 did you get into? We are still in 2011. Yeah. So this was 2011, 2012. Uh, the world basically was uh, recovering from the global financial crisis, right? And uh, my understanding back then was that if you want to go far in private sector, th there were two options. You go to uh, high finance or management consulting. Sure. Yeah, and there were only a small number of firms, basically, that do exactly this in Jakarta at the time. Um, I decided to basically apply to a number of banks, uh, got a couple of internship offers, uh, apprenticeship offers, basically, because mm. I had no experience at all True. in this industry. And I just recently graduated at <laughs> 19 years old. So 
they weren't expecting much from me hmm. that there's this one bank uh it's now called MUFG sure they they offered me a full-time role uh, and in fact uh, I was placed directly under the managing director for Jakarta at a time to basically wow. help him okay uh with with uh with projects basically sure uh so I took that opportunity and the rest is history as they say <laughs> Ooh. at 19 reporting directly to a managing director of a bank yeah i mean you didn't feel the pressure i mean it's it's someone oh. who's like super senior managing crazy amount of funds uh rep- folks reporting to him what what exactly was your role out there uh so what's interesting was exactly because i didn't have the traditional finance and business background that most of my fellow analysts in my analyst class had mm-hmm. uh they wanted me to do something different uh, because they yeah. thought that i would be able to provide different perspectives yeah. offer different perspectives sure so what they asked me to do was basically to help them with uh planning mm-hmm. so i helped the managing director with a lot of the uh planning uh business analysis uh and basically internal coordination between different business units sure uh and what's interesting as well was at the time uh the bank just acquired a majority stake in Morgan Stanley basically the bank safe Morgan Stanley sweet from the crisis sure so they were consolidating operations in Jakarta so i was also basically was asked to manage uh what we call collaboration framework between mm-hmm. this bank and Morgan Stanley and that was my first uh uh direct exposure in the world of finance mm-hmm. i think looking back i did i did not realize how big of a deal it was for a recent grad to sure. to to do that uh for me at the time uh i didn't know much about the world right yeah. so for me at the time oh well this is just a job right so i'm just going to do my job but i yeah. think now reading on it and then looking back i thought that was that was pretty pretty miraculous <laughs> for me with very little business and finance background to be able to do that how long were you with them i was there for three and a half years three and a half years. yeah interesting i think we we come back we'll circle back on this one again sure. once we go further in your journey because i think there are a couple of very interesting snippets which we can cover again from your muf journey absolutely so how did this whole transition happen from a traditional bank to a google how did this happen <laughs> it was also not planned uh i think after about 3 years at the bank uh they they actually promoted me every year sure. so i joined as an analyst and then uh got promoted to associate in my second year and got promoted to senior associate in my third year but what i saw was that in this world in in that world at the time uh there's some sort of a glass ceiling that i will eventually hit sure. uh if i try to cross a certain point um no matter what people say i'm still a non finance non business uh uh um, graduate right mm-hmm. that have very little formal education in business mm-hmm. so and i actually like my job at the time mm-hmm. so uh, sure. so i thought okay well if i w- if i want to keep doing this then i have to reinvent myself mm-hmm. and one of the ways that i thought that i could do that was to uh go for an mba at a good school Mhm. Um so uh yeah, for me it was also very new. 
I didn't know much about the world of MBA, business schools, uh, grad, grad, uh, grad school education, etc. But I ended up um, focusing on this one school that I really wanted to go to, which, uh, which was Cambridge uh, in the UK. Sure. Uh, I uh, decided to apply uh, with very uh, with with a lot of difficulty. I can tell you, as a non uh, quantitative person, I had to sure. go through GMAT, which sure. was for me it was very difficult. Right, sure. I did pretty badly in my first attempt, uh, but then I found a friend uh, at the bank who was also um, uh, working on her GMAT, and she she was a quant person. Uh, but I think she did horribly in the reasoning uh, section of the test, right? Yeah. The, the, the Froberg reasoning. So we help each other out. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time basically helping each other out. Uh, and eventually I managed to get uh, actually the bare minimum score that I needed <laughs> to, 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 to even apply. Uh, so I did apply and I got accepted. Uh, the challenge was then, uh, obviously, financially, uh, uh, it cost a lot of money. Sure. Uh, to to do an MBA um, in the UK, uh, and I had some money saved uh, from my years at the bank, uh, and and my par- my parents, uh, God bless their hearts, they were very supportive, right? But but my parents did not come from a super privileged background. I just want to get that up, sure. get that out of the way first, because I think a lot of people would assume that I come from a super privileged background, but that's that's not true at all. Why would you say that a lot of people would assume this? Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people assume that because I go to work at a specific industry, at sure. a specific place, sure. and then manage to go to a specific school, and then coming back and then join a specific company and then doing these specific things, people would assume that I come from a super privileged background with super connections, et cetera. But that's not, that's not the case at all. And I know that people are not going to believe this. Uh, <laughs> I, I think most people, when they hear this, and then they would say, of course you would say that, Mara. but uh, deep down inside, you know that's not true. But it's the truth, and I just—I uh, don't know what other way to say. Well, I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's easier to—it's—it's—it's it's, it's easier to judge than to think, true, and inquire. Yeah. Uh, so it's—it's—it's it's, it's pretty much a part-time. Uh, it's a part-time hobby, I feel, in Asia, wherein yeah. we're like constantly judging yeah. everyone yeah. in and around. Uh, we call that kepo in in, in Indonesia. <laughs> See, you got a name for it. Exactly. <laughs> great, great. So, uh. So you, you uh, finished your uh, uh, masters, mm-hmm. and you got into Google. Uh, so I uh, finished my masters uh, with a government scholarship because I couldn't afford to right. to pay for everything uh, uh, myself. Right, I was actually considering uh, a lot of options. So mm-hmm. I considered delaying it for another year mm-hmm. uh, to defer it, basically. I considered actually taking out student loan mm-hmm. uh, from from different banks, including my 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 current employer at the time. Uh, but I actually en- ended up getting a government scholarship from 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 the Ministry of Finance. It's called LPDP. So thank you, Musri Mulyani. Uh, and basically, the scholarship covered for everything. Uh, they, they they paid for everything. And this is this was also not common because usually government. The Indonesian government usually doesn't pay full scholarship for MBA programs. Sure, it's just not common. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a senior scholarship, so I mean... Yeah, uh, and it's uh, a pretty expensive program. I'm sure. But, but, but they did, and uh, uh, I'm super thankful. So I, uh, I went, uh, and then I uh, graduated in 2017. Uh, and then I came back to Indonesia, which is a condition of the scholarship. You have to yeah. come back. And I wasn't 
and I was never interested uh, in working in Europe or the States or anything like that because even at the time I knew Asia was going to be the next big thing. And, and, and especially in Southeast Asia, Indonesia, easily um, uh, uh, the biggest economy in Southeast Asia. Sure. So I've always known that I would want to come back anyway. So uh, it makes sense to take a government scholarship. I came back and joined Shopee first. Okay. So I spent about a year at Shopee. Doing what? Very briefly? Yeah. Uh, doing business development, uh, category management, uh, data analysis. Uh, sure. Well, Shopee was a one-year-old startup at the time. So like coming so, from an extremely organized bank yes. to an extremely unorganized startup. Yes. And at the time, not a lot of people knew what Shopee was. Sure. Uh, at the time, they were not this huge name that everybody knew, hmm. right? They were basically the new kid on the block banging on the doors that, that were dominated by Tukopedia and the likes, right? Sure. So uh, it was also quite uh, uh, an interesting uh, set of options that I had graduating. Uh, I got offers from several different banks. Uh, but I decided to go shopping because something told me at the time that something was telling me that the tech industry in Indonesia is going to boom, right? And if I didn't go for it back then, it would have been too late for me. So I decided to uh, take that risk. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay. Okay. And then post that, you moved to Google. Yes. So after about uh, a year at Shopee, I uh, joined Google in late 2017. Sure. So let's let's talk about your first venture. Sure. Right. Uh, I think it, it's it's a very special one for every mm -hmm. entrepreneur. The first venture. Yeah. Uh, I want to understand why start what you started. Yeah. Number one, why? And second is. I personally feel founders are the most audacious people, mm -hmm. right? I mean, they they tend to do things uh, which probably any person with with reasons and yeah. being reasonable would not, mm. right? So, why did you start what you started, mm -hmm. and where did you get this will from? Sure, right? That okay, hey, listen, I'm gonna leave my well-paying job, yeah. and I'm just gonna push myself into this. Yeah. So my, my first exposure to the tech industry was actually while uh, I was studying at Cambridge. Uh, Cambridge was situated right next to basically UK Silicon Valley, uh, Silicon Valley, they call it. Mm -hmm. It's where, where all the big tech companies are based in, in the UK. Uh, and that was my first exposure. So I got to meet uh, different companies, different startups that were based in Silicon Valley. Uh, and I ended up doing a summer project while I was at Cambridge uh, for Grab basically mm -hmm. helping them with market entry strategy, et cetera. And that was my first exposure sure. uh, uh, in the tech industry. So when I graduated in 2017, uh, I already was interested in tech. And that's why I decided to go with Shopee, mm -hmm. right? That's my first job right out of grad school. And then I spent another year at Google. So after two years, uh, two and a half years uh, being exposed to tech, I was really interested in the opportunity it offers uh, to people to build something and scaling it at a very short time, which uh, from my understanding in the banking industry mm -hmm. was not possible because sure. it was mostly a people-driven and relationship-driven business, Correct. right? You cannot use tech to scale. Uh, in the banking industry, tech was infrastructure, right? Uh, it's, it's a tool, but in the tech industry, well, tech is the, hmm. is the core of it. Core of it. Uh, whatever you build, it scales through tech, 
right? Mm -hmm. It's not just an infrastructure. It really is the soul of the product. And I was just fascinated by, by that possibility. So after a couple of years at Google, uh, and I cannot credit uh, just myself for the founding of Motoraket, uh, I got connected to an old friend of mine that I got to know during my uh, years in the banking industry. His name is Stanis. And basically he came to me with the idea for Motoraket. Sure. Uh, and, and, and Stanis ended up becoming my uh, co-founder at Motoraket and uh, he ended up becoming the CEO for the first couple of years uh, at, at Motoraket. So basically the idea was just, it's pretty simple. It's to combine my knowledge and experience in finance uh, and his knowledge and experience in finance and with my knowledge and experience in tech uh, and try to solve a problem in Indonesia that we knew could be solved. And uh, what was that problem? Uh, it was a pretty simple problem. Uh, the inability for small businesses to raise financing. Okay. And we're talking about yeah. 2017, 16? This was to the 2000, uh, 2017, late. 2017. Yeah. Okay. Late to 2017, early 2018. Yeah. Sure. I remember meeting Stanis at the Google cafeteria <laughs> in, in, in Jakarta. So I invited him to come over. Yeah, just 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 come, bro, and check out my office. Sure. Uh, what was he doing at that point? I think he was, uh, he recently left his previous startup. Yeah. So uh, for him, it was his second startup. Sure. Yeah, but I don't know if I can talk about that startup. Yeah, so I probably wouldn't. <laughs> I, I remember meeting Stannis yeah. uh, uh, somewhere in 2018. Yeah. I was uh, I was consulting for a marketing technology firm at right. that point. Yeah. And so I probably, remember he yeah. had like, he was like just getting started with yeah. the model racket. The office was somewhere in the North Jakarta, if mm. I'm not wrong, uh, back then. I think our first office was actually in South Jakarta. Uh, in South Jakarta, near near Pondok Indah area, so it was a Ruko. It's a, a small office, home office. Yes, I, I think I think that's the same office where I, yep. I met him yep. back then. Yes. Okay. Let's 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 talk about uh, Model Rakyat for a minute over mm -hmm. here. So you found your co-founder mm -hmm. uh, Stannis while you were working with Google. He had already started Model Rakyat, but uh, by then he has not. Uh, he has he not. just has the idea. Okay. And he has uh, a couple of other co-founders that were. were were also interested in doing this, and then we had an investor. Okay. So the next couple of weeks after meeting Stannis was basically me meeting all the other co-founders and the investor. Sure. Yeah. And then once we have sort of decided collectively that I think we can do this mm -hmm. together, mm -hmm. that's when we basically decided to launch it. Yeah. This was early 2018. Sure. Yeah. And so I mean, let's let's dwell a bit more mm. on this journey. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, till the time you guys. Uh, exited or merged with uh, Faz. Yeah. What was this whole journey like? Was this your first entrepreneurial journey? And uh, you would be what, 26, 20, 26, 27? 2018, I would have been 26. Yeah. 26. Yeah. I was right. So you're like you're 26 year old. Yeah. Uh, and you have started this journey into a very regulated market. Yeah. Which is of financing. Yeah. Uh, how does that work? I mean, yeah. How do you go about doing things in this regulated market? Yeah. So, uh, it, Modalaket was not my first entrepreneur, entrepreneurial uh, 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 journey. Uh, but to be fair, I started maybe some side businesses that didn't really work out. Okay. So, okay. Uh, I tried uh, agency business. I tried interior design business. I think this is a different podcast altogether. Yeah. I think we should do exactly. One more. 
But just to talk about the I I I I tried uh English mentoring business basically trying to teach people English. I sure. tried all kinds of different uh comp- different ideas different companies that didn't work out. So in a nutshell you always wanted to do things on your own. I mean you wanted to be a I mean look entrepreneur is a very I believe yeah. it's become a very popular term in mm-hmm. the last few years. Mm-hmm. But I would I would rather use let's uh, a word like you always wanted to become a uh, a businessman of sorts. Right, you always wanted to have something of your own. Uh, I think at the time, uh, the word entrepreneur or even businessman didn't come to mind. I think it was just mostly this sense or feeling of, I think I can do more, mm-hmm. right? But uh, there's a limit uh, to what you can do more sure. at your uh, day job, right? Sure. sure. So, uh, and I had a lot of energy, mm-hmm. so. I, I needed to channel this energy somewhere, basically, mm-hmm. right? So I decided to channel this energy to different things, uh, trying mm-hmm. out different stuff. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that there are more failed businesses that I've started than the ones that have succeeded. So the ones mm-hmm. that people know now that are covered in media, etc., those are the successful ones. I, sure. I, I mean, those are the ones that uh, uh, took off to a, a certain point, right? Sure. But there were many, 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 many more that people have heard nothing <laughs> about. Uh, so they would probably laugh if they heard about it, right? Sure. That, that basically failed yeah. and I learned a lot a lot from those uh, failed businesses sure 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 yeah. interesting so I mean coming back to model Rakhyat mm. right I mean so you guys get started uh, yeah you start scaling it yeah uh, how was it how was the experience of raising funds back then 2018 2019 oh it was very uh, difficult it was very difficult because again like you said we we entered a highly regulated market and we definitely were not the first player in the market right there were already other major players in the market at the time uh and uh, there wasn't a lot of interest in uh investing in such a highly regulated space uh with unclear uh, unique selling proposition etc mm-hmm. so fundraising was um uh, difficult but what we managed to do actually was to have a sustainable business model mm-hmm. uh a product that people actually use and a business model uh, that actually works uh, and customers that are actually willing to pay sure things that actually are sometimes uh, 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 elusive for startups who even sure. uh, successfully fundraise right <laughs> these days Kidding. so we didn't manage to fundraise but we we, we managed to to basically uh, do uh, all those things and because we managed to do all those things we didn't technically need to fundraise uh, unless we want to grow like uh, 10 10, 20, 30 times faster than mm-hmm. uh, the way that we were growing, but we didn't technically need to fundraise. Sure. But we knew that this was working and uh, we knew that we just had to wait it out mm-hmm. until the time comes. Sure. Yeah. Huh. Nice, nice, nice. So how how did this whole exit happen mm. uh, from Model Rakyat? Yeah. What, what was the mood like at that point? Uh, I mean, was it a planned one? How did you go about that? Yeah, uh, for us, I think it... It made a lot of sense in terms of the uh, ecosystem uh, and in terms of the synergy. Uh, our first investor uh, was actually Hendra, uh, who's the CEO of us, right? yeah. uh, who's now also close, a close friend of mine and who also invested in Upbanks. Hmm. Uh, so um, basically, uh, after COVID, we saw an opportunity to uh, basically streamline uh, our operations. Uh, and it, there was a lot of uh, uh, issues in the overall financial industry at the time. Correct. With small businesses um, basically failing to make payments, et cetera, et cetera. So for us, it was it made a lot of sense to basically join a larger group 
mm-hmm. in which we would be able to leverage uh, a much stronger and healthier balance sheet, uh, stronger and healthier ecosystem, and have all of our products embedded into all their different platforms. Sure. So for us, it made a lot of sense. Yeah. But is is it? I mean, is it easy for an entrepreneur mm-hmm. to to detach himself or herself from yeah. what they have created? Yeah. I mean, look, it it all sounds uh, good. It makes sense what mm-hmm. you just mentioned from a synergies perspective. But this something which you've built, right? I mean, you've built it grounds up. Yeah. And uh, not give it away. Give it away would be a wrong word. Yeah. But to part slightly away from it and let someone else do it yeah uh i mean talk talk more about that i'm i'm curious to understand this phase yeah uh this is probably going to be to sound a bit spiritual <laughs> but i try not to be attached to things okay even Perfect. as an entrepreneur i try not to be attached to my companies uh so in fact my my whole working model as an entrepreneur is to eventually get my companies to a point where even I as the founder cannot stop it. Okay. Cannot stop its growth, cannot stop its evolution, cannot stop its uh, dynamics, etc. Because then at that point, that means I have successfully built a company that operates by itself, that is serving customers, that I managed to build a team mm-hmm. uh, that can uh, run it well, uh, and it doesn't need me anymore. So actually, I consider it a success, a massive success when a company doesn't need me anymore. Interesting. <laughs> so okay. uh, I don't know how many entrepreneurs think this way, but uh, it's it's definitely how I think. Sure. So, uh, but I I don't want to scare my investors and and, <laughs> and and make it sound like I'm trying to use uh, the use the companies and uh, detach from my companies. But uh, that's not the point. But my idea is to not let my companies depend and rely on me as an individual. Sure. Right, because sure. if that's the case, then probably what what I'm building, the, the company that I'm building, the product that I'm building, is probably not that good of a company or not that good of a product. Right? It needs you always. Exactly, yeah. because it always needs me. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's actually a milestone. But is yeah. this philosophy of yours applicable only towards uh, the startups which you're building, mm-hmm. or it's it's a general life philosophy for you? For, uh, well. Initially, it was just a philosophy for my companies, mm-hmm. but uh, for me personally, a lot, a lot of uh, things happened within the last couple of years, uh, personal events that have transformed my way of thinking as well. So I have now basically becoming, I've started to become more detached from worldly things. Would you be well, comfortable expanding on these events or? Uh, yeah, if- sure. Uh, so. Uh, my father got very sick uh, in 2020, and uh, we went through a lot of uh, crisis, basically, at the time. Uh, we went through a uh, uh, hard time as a family. Uh, thankfully, my dad is recovered today. That's right. Yeah, so he's now uh, healthy, uh, And um, but I went through a lot in 2020. Sure. And then in uh, 2021, um, I actually, uh, so my, my wife got pregnant, and then we actually lost the baby. Yeah. So uh, that was a very difficult time for me as well. So it's almost like two years of consecutive tragedies for me sure. in 2020 and 2021, right? And I think that that was also a factor uh, that contributes to why I decided to leave Google because I just thought that at the time, 
wow, uh, life is so fickle. Uh, life is so short. Sure. Uh, my thinking was at the time, I don't want to spend a single minute doing anything that I don't want to do. Uh, considering all the things that uh, uh, happened to me within the past couple yeah. of years. So uh, it took a lot of courage for me to leave Google and then focus on my companies full-time, et cetera. But that, that was a huge factor. But also as a result of that, uh, I actually delved deeper into different um, spiritual ideas, I would say. So uh, I was born in a conservative Muslim family. Uh, this is Indonesia. Most Muslim families are conservative, sure. including my parents, right? Yeah. Uh, so I delved a bit deeper into the broader side of spirituality as opposed to uh, diving deeper into uh, religions. So I uh, read a lot, read a lot, and then learned a lot from people, from different teachings, uh, from YouTube, <laughs> uh, sure. watched a lot of videos. Uh, and I slowly developed this philosophy of basically uh, being able to affirm myself that everything is going to be okay that there's no need to worry about anything, that there's no need to stress about anything, and that I shouldn't be attached to uh, any worldly possessions because it's not real. <laughs> uh, but by recognizing that, actually, so this, this may be a bit counterintuitive, by recognizing that everything is going to be okay and that this world is a grand stage in which we are the actors, mm -hmm. I was able to muster a lot of energy and a lot of courage to do a lot of things in this world mm -hmm. so it's the opposite as opposed to becoming a hermit that maybe uh, go to a mountain and then maybe uh, shave my head and then uh, not eat anything and not do anything and then mm -hmm. meditate in the mountains for 20 20 hours a day i'm actually now becoming more energized and more encouraged uh, uh to do more things in this world because i know exactly that this is a play <laughs> Might be a bit counterintuitive, but well, that's mean, what I felt. Uh, so, I mean, again, just for the sake of argument, yeah. if it is a play and if it has already been staged, mm -hmm. then it doesn't matter if one does or does not act. Hmm. Right? Just for the sake of argument. Yeah. Uh, but I but I, but I, I understand. Yeah. I, I've had these arguments a lot yeah. with a lot of my friends. My wife, she's mm -hmm. crazily... Uh, spiritually aligned but I, I i hear you and i agree completely mm. with you uh i mean the best we can do is to give our hundred percent and work yeah right i mean results you cannot control the results yeah there are so many variables at play yeah you just can't uh control it this this was good this was good mm -hmm. good insights <laughs> okay let's 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 move towards what you're doing now sure right so uh just before we started a recording, I was. Yeah. I told you I have a lot of questions. You uh, seem like you do. <laughs> yeah, especially especially on up banks, right? Yeah. So uh, you are back to something which you love, which is, which is finance. Yeah. Uh, with model Rakyat, MUF. Yeah. And now up banks, but why this only for creators? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at Google, I spent a lot of years working in the YouTube side of things. Uh, I met a lot of creators. Uh, and I even back then, I knew that this world of creators was going to be something that is really influential. Sure. And not just in terms of how it generates economic value, but how it shapes values and uh, discussions in society. Uh, might be brazen to say this, but I would say that influencers today, especially t the top ones, 
have more influence over how society think and, and how society perceives things. So uh, for me, building something that could help these people do their work, right? And enable them and to ensure that not a single creative mind passes up an opportunity just because they don't have the upfront money to do it, which is mm -hmm. what Upbings is trying to solve. Sure. Or just because they don't have the tool to do it, uh, which is what Upthings is trying to solve, uh, mm -hmm. which is our AI uh, generative AI product. I think something that could be uh, uh, my, my, my life's mission because I've experienced it myself. I've seen the, the, the power of creativity, the power of creation. And uh, I'd like to believe that we're here to create. People are, people are born in this world to create. Yeah. So whatever I can do, whatever I can build to help creators create would be a mission worth pursuing. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, let's, 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 uh, let's give a very simple uh, explanation sure. to our audience yeah. about what exactly a bank does mm -hmm. and what is this whole upthink AI element yeah. uh, out here. Let's, let's just do that. Sure. So, uh, what Upbanks does is very simple. Uh, we help every single creative business and creative mind in Indonesia uh, get access to financing. Okay. To capital. And why? Because traditionally, uh, creative businesses in Indonesia have not been able to uh, uh, gain access to financing because of the nature of the business uh, and sometimes the age of the, of the business and how it's mostly personality driven sure. as opposed to product or business model driven. Define creative businesses over here, please. Yeah. So in Indonesia, typically we have what we call small and micro businesses, which are UMKM mm -hmm. and uh, creative business uh, or uh, creative economy, economy creative. Hmm. Which is why you also see there are two different ministries actually yeah. supervising these two different segments, uh, Kementerian Koperasi and UMKM for small and micro businesses, and Kementerian Pariwisata and Ekonomi Kreatif Ministry of Tourism and the Creative Economy for creative businesses. Mm -hmm. The key difference between a small and micro business and a creative business is that creative business has intangible value that is attached to its product or service. Correct. So it doesn't matter what you do, whether it's a spicy chip mm -hmm. or a, a YouTube video mm -hmm. or an Instagram profile or an agency, right? If it has an intangible value that justify why people want to use your product or pay for your product mm -hmm. because they love that intangible value, that is a creative business. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, let's say... Uh, Let's say I'm a mu musician, sure. an independent musician. Yeah. Would I fall into a category of someone who, who can approach a banks for, a, for finance? Absolutely. We work okay. with uh, music publishers. Some of our customers are musicians and songwriters. Mm -hmm. yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, how, how come do you justify giving out finance yeah. uh, to these artists wherein, I mean, the income sources are varied. Exactly. Right. Uh, that is one of the reasons, primary reasons, I believe, traditional uh, finance houses like banks or uh, NBFCs and finance houses yeah. are not willing to yes. uh, risk it. Yeah. How, how does it work uh, for our banks? Yeah. So exactly because I came from, a, from the traditional side of finance, right? which looks at companies in a very traditional way. Yes. Like, 
uh, I look at discounted cash flows and balance sheets, income statements, which most of these creative businesses don't even have. Correct. Uh, and they have a very different risk profile, mm-hmm. right? That is exactly the reason why app banks exist mm-hmm. because we want to bridge that gap. In reality, if you talk to banks, if you talk to multi-finance institutions, even if you talk to government, right? They want to support creative Correct. businesses. Correct. Uh, how many... Uh, how many Nobel winning scientists you know that come from Indonesia? Nobel Prize winning I, scientists. I don't think any. None. None, right? But the world recognizes Indonesian musicians. Correct. Indonesian actors and actresses. Correct. Correct. Indonesian songwriters. Correct. And the world recognizes... Indonesian meme accounts. Meme accounts, right? And the world recognizes Indonesian uh, tourism spots. Sure. Right. So, I'm not sure if this sounds stereotypical but i believe indonesia in its soul in its heart and mind is a creative i i i can't yeah. i can't agree more on yeah. this right i mean last six years yeah. i've been living in indonesia and i personally feel yeah people are the most creative i have ever met exactly and i've, I've worked and lived across southeast asia yeah i mean i can i can absolutely bet indonesians yeah. are the most creative even in in the smallest day-to-day activities as well we figure out creative ways of doing different things. Yeah, absolutely. Figure out uh, different solutions. And I'm not trying to discourage our uh, young people, young audiences watching there studying engineering <laughs> or math. Go for it, right? Yeah. Uh, if that's your calling, go for it. But I think collectively as a country, deep inside the, the, the soul of Indonesia, there's a creative spark sure. that exists in every person sure. breathing in this country, right? So there's a lot of uh, willingness to support uh, this this side uh, of the economy, but there is not much ability to do it because mm-hmm. why they are unable to assess the risk, right? Mm-hmm. They are unable to recover uh, 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 bad debts, for example, in this mm-hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. They are unable to properly uh, create uh, or build pipelines of uh, creative businesses that can come uh, and then grow and maybe replace other old existing creative businesses and make it a sustainable uh, cycle in the economy. So, UpBanks is uh, there to help creative businesses achieve exactly that. So one of the ways we do this is that you can simply connect your YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok accounts with our platform, mm-hmm. and we can basically able to take that da- data and then build a credit profiling. Okay. That we can combine with the credit model mm-hmm. that exists in our financing partners, which can be banks, multi-finance firms, sure. the government, etc., and then actually disperse financing. Okay. Yeah. So that's one way that, it, uh, that, that, that we're able to do that. Sure. And secondly, the reason why uh, traditional financial institutions don't want to lend to this segment, specific segment, because they wouldn't know what to do if someone uh, fails to make a payment. Yeah, I mean, uh, and uh, I mean, if you, if you look from, from, from an outsider's yeah. perspective, at the creative economy, there's always that risk which a lender would uh, uh, would would feel that okay, hey, listen, what if it does this does not work? There's no fixed source of income. Exactly. So how do I recover my debt? Exactly. Creators generally are willing, uh, in order to compensate or to allow for their partners to recover losses. For example, mm-hmm. they are willing to produce work that is directly associated with recovering that specific loss. Okay. So, for example, if a creator fails to make a payment of 500 million, mm-hmm. for example, 
we can actually arrange uh, an agreement in which we can source work for this creator. And then the payment for that work is then used. Directly to a bank. Yes. To recover that losses. Interesting. And this can be done at scale as we expand partnerships with more uh, institutions and companies that actually uh, provide work for these creators. Mm -hmm. But you already have this ecosystem ready now or uh, it's it's a work in progress? We have it in a a small scale, I would say, because we just started last year, right? So right now we have about uh, roughly 2,000 customers, Mm -hmm. 2,000 users. Mm-hmm. And around 60% are brands and agencies or corporations and 40% are creators, right? Sure. So actually, we're trying to capture the entire value chain in which the ones who uh, 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 provide the work and the ones that are actually doing the work mm-hmm. are part of the same ecosystem. Nice. Yeah. So that is w- uh, what we're trying to do. We want to make sure that everything is connected everyone is connected in a single platform mm-hmm. so that whenever uh, 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 these things happen, when someone fails to make a payment, etc., a work then can be sourced to this specific creator that is encountering this payment issue for this person to recover. It's very interesting. Very yeah. interesting. And that is uh, how, uh, just to give you a specific uh, number, mm-hmm. so far we have zero uh, 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 failed payments. Woo. Yes. For all the financing that we have helped our financing partners disperse sure. for the creative segment, sure. since we started, we have zero failed payments. There are some late payments here and there, right? Mm-hmm. But they pay penalties and then it's settled, right? No, no NPAs. So yes, far. but there hasn't been a single failed payment. Very really nice. Yeah, very nice. Uh, coming, coming to the next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll give, I'll share my thoughts first, sure. and then, then we can expand on this. So I personally feel that. Uh, most of these startups mm-hmm. today in and around Asia as well as uh, the globe yeah. are adding artificial intelligence yeah. as a part of their offerings Yeah. Uh, at times for no reason at all. Without reason at all, yeah. Without any use case. Yeah. Uh, probably it's it's a buzzword, very exciting for the yeah. uh, for the investors. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm... Uh, I am not downplaying the role of AI. Yeah. I personally believe it is the future. Yeah. But at the same time, you can't really just take AI uh, into anything and everything. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it just doesn't uh, make sense Correct. to me. Yeah. Right. Now, on that note, without cornering you, let's talk about the AI piece and up things. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, we've we've actually been using AI since the very start of Uplinks. Okay. But it's not something that we externalize. Uh, So AI, we've been using it to basically build the credit profile that Mm -hmm. we provide to financing partners. Mm -hmm. Because all of these different credit businesses connect their accounts, so they basically uh, feed us the uh, data. So it makes sense for us to then use AI to take this data and then crawl all of the other public profiles out there and try to build Mm -hmm. prediction models. Sure on how well this person can do, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So we've we've actually been using uh, AI, but not generative AI. Of course. AI mm-hmm. to build uh, uh, basically effective credit profiles. Sure. Now, when the buzz around generative AI came, we talked to our users, right? We talked to our users. Typically, when we talk to our users and we ask them what's their number one problem, their answer is always the same, cash flow. But that piece is already uh, being worked on by Upbanks. So we're already trying to solve that 
specific piece. Correct. And then we ask them, what's their second biggest pain point? Mm-hmm. It's actually content creation. Okay. Because their entire life, their entire work, their entire business is built around creating content. Correct. That's how they make money. Correct. And why brands and agencies pay them is because they expect content from these people, right? Correct. And even as a small creative business, let's say you are a small spicy chip uh, brand, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You still need to promote your products on social media. Correct. And you need to still create content marketing. Sure. So content generation apparently is the second biggest pain point after cash flow. But it's not something that is on top of their mind because even the cash flow problem is already super painful. So, so the, the, the whole content generation thing is probably on the back of their mind. Yeah. So we asked them, what if, if we can help you produce more content more efficiently at scale? Mm-hmm. And that's basically how the idea for UpThings came. Sure. And uh, this is what I experienced myself as well as a micro-influencer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at this point, mm-hmm. we would like to know what is UpThings. Okay, so UpThings is basically uh, a platform where uh, people can use uh, the different templates that we have mm-hmm. to leverage generative AI to create content. So the kind of content that we currently support on UpThings are uh, text-based content. Okay. So think of things like caption, mm-hmm. uh, video scripts, sure, metadata like titles, mm. uh, uh, hashtags, right, sure. tags, etc. And then things like, for example, uh, uh, ideas, briefs, uh, sure. uh, uh, pitches, etc. Mm-hmm. So right now we have about 20, 25 different templates that are available on UpThings that people can basically just input what they what they need, and then UpThings will then generate uh, sure. the appropriate uh, text-based content for sure. their needs. And it can also be adjusted based on uh, audience target, uh, tone, brand style, sure. uh, voice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that is currently the version of UpThings that we have that, that 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 are currently live mm-hmm. for users. Mm-hmm. But we have a lot more in the work. Sure. So we have things like real-time trends integration, mm-hmm. which will allow users to generate content uh, based on what is currently trending on different platforms. Sure. So that is coming. Interesting. And the second piece that we're working on is actually real-time internet integration. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Right now, generative AI models are limited to what is the cut of uh, 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 point in time, yeah. right? Where you basically feed the data into the model. Correct. But what we're working on right now is actually real-time internet integration in which the AI will actually be able to browse the internet. Real-time. Pull Real-time. Pull the necessary data mm-hmm. to be able to generate the specific content that you need. So Interesting. So for me as a micro-influencer, I experience this problem. So, okay, I'm a... Sorry, founder, but I'm also a micro-influencer because I have 15,000 followers on Instagram, 35,000 followers on LinkedIn. So sometimes I would get requests from small brands and small agencies to do uh, a bit of endorsement work, right? Sure. I'm about to request one after this podcast. <laughs> so the moment the brief comes to me, and then I take a look at the brief, it usually would take me around two to four days for me to be able to come up with Ideas for yes, content, correct. topics, correct. caption, correct. right? Uh, because inspira- inspiration doesn't come suddenly. So sometimes creative people need to spend some time drinking coffee, yeah. uh, vaping, smoking, right? playing guitar, <laughs> yeah. looking at sunset, trying to find inspiration. Sure. But up things can actually cut down this process to mere seconds. Sure. So instead of wasting days, 
trying to think of an inspiration or ideas, mm. you can actually just input the brief to Upthings. Mm. Mm. And then Upthings will generate an unlimited amount of different ideas that you can use as a starting point. Sure. That's the key. It's not meant to be a final piece of work that you use. It's mm. meant to help you start. And we all know that starting is typically the hardest part Correct. of doing creative work. Absolutely. Right. So that's the key. And then when you have produced the content, you will submit the content back to the agency, right? And then the agency will then submit the content to the brand. Mm -hmm. It can then take up to a week for the brand to come up with some feedback mm -hmm. to the agency and for the agency to process that feedback and then uh, raise that request for us to do some revisions. Yeah, sounds fair. Right? Yeah. But that process can also be shortened sure. using Upthings. But I mean, okay. Uh, I mean, very interesting work. And yeah. I completely agree that ideation, especially ideation, yeah. is the most crucial part. But don't you think? I mean, in, in, I mean, in your conversation with these creators, yeah, aren't they afraid of AI itself, uh, which? which looks like it has started to create content on its own, completely AI-generated content, yeah. uh, is, is, is being pushed out there uh, on various platforms. Uh, is, isn't that something which they're afraid of right now? I think a lot of people are, are right now afraid of AI. Uh, so beyond tax, we have seen AI generating pictures, clips, Correct. voiceovers, yes. even songs, right? Uh, I think that's going to be a huge change. There's going to be a huge kick in the butt for sure. the entire economy uh, for us to introduce that upfront. Mm. So we decided to slowly introduce AI, mm. uh, which is why we started with tax. Makes right? sense. Not to mention that the cost for building the products for different uh, uh, asset type content is typically more expensive. Right. Correct. So there's a there's a thicker uh, cost of revenue uh, comp component there. Mm -hmm. While tax is typically cheaper, so it makes sense from from an economic standpoint. Mm. But uh, our proposition uh, is AI should be able to help you generate more pieces of content. Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't think uh, in the frame of, oh, with AI right now, maybe a brand doesn't need 100 creators. Maybe a brand only needs 10 creators, hmm. right? Correct. So they can pay uh, maybe only 10% of what they used to pay. True. I think that's what most people fear, right? Correct. And then for the people working for the creators, they would fear something like, oh, right now, instead of having three copywriters, now you only need one, maybe. One. Yeah, right? yeah, so yeah. two people will lose yeah. their jobs. Yeah. Rather than having a editor, you can just basically edit, edit by uploading your content and free tools out there. Exactly. But we also shouldn't forget that this is also the same fear, I think, during the early industrial revolution era. Mm -hmm. When... Uh, factories, uh, assembly lines were first introduced. I think a lot of people were afraid. Uh, I mean, look, I, 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 I've heard this argument. Yeah. Uh, to a large extent, I agree. Mm -hmm. But I have one major disagreement with this argument. The disagreement is that the available jobs yeah. while the industrialization was happening were in plenty. Yeah. Right? There were plenty of opportunities outside of the traditional work when the industrialization begin. Like, let's say, for example, if I was a weaver mm -hmm. and textiles came in, yeah, I could learn the art of working in a textile factory. Yeah, So I was employable, mm -hmm. right? Whereas the speed at which AI is capturing a yeah. lot of different work styles, 
yeah as well as lot of different work verticals i am i'm i'm scared at times i'm like how quickly can humans adapt to it yeah. how quickly can can i upskill myself sure so when when you say jobs especially when we are referring to the uh, early industrial revolution era we typically think of traditional corporate jobs correct right salary jobs with benefits etc and i agree with you uh in the next 5 10 15 20 years we may see overall fewer traditional jobs but then on the other hand we will see a massive rise in the creative economy because people will then start taking more freelance jobs mm-hmm. uh that's why we've seen the rise of platforms like fiverr upwork yep. people around the world even though they are working a full-time corporate job they're also taking on uh, taking on jobs from platforms like fiverr upwork maybe to do some a bit of a graphic design maybe to do a bit composing script writing etc right sure so on one hand i agree i think traditional job as in corporate salary tr- job with benefits uh with long tenure etc will probably slowly be phased out replaced by a more dynamic more open mm-hmm. um i'm not sure if gig economy is the right term sometimes when i hear gig economy it sounds it's, like it's, it's a very confusing yeah, to be honest it's a bit confusing but what i would say is actually uh a job market that is more flexible, sure. more open, sure. that is more customized and oriented towards the individual mm-hmm. as opposed to the institution. Mm-hmm. And that actually is going to transfer a lot of the power to the individual mm-hmm. doing the actual work, right? And in the short term, yes, maybe uh most people wouldn't be able to so quickly adapt with all of these different AI tools. But I think in the longer term, I don't think it's something to be worried about. Eventually, just like how people are not used to internet, for example, 30 years ago, eventually people are going to adapt. So I think AI is just going to be the same. Uh, eventually, people are going to adapt, and uh, we may see the loss of traditional corporate jobs. We may see a bit of shock here and there. Sure. Some s- sectors of the economy, uh, and then we may see some deflation because then probably wages will go down from the digital industries. Correct. And then uh, money shifting to the uh, uh, to the creator economy. But then in the long term, I think the overall positive uh, the the overall impact will be positive. Let, yeah. Let's hope for that. Let's, let's hope, hope for that. that. I'm, I'm rooting for that. I'm betting on that. <laughs> I'm banking on that. <laughs> you are banking on that. <laughs> literally, literally banking. <laughs> literally yeah. banking on yeah. that. Okay, okay. I mean, let's let's uh, let's let's move from AI to something which, yeah. which is more traditional. Yeah. In terms of an advice, right? Hey. So, uh, the more and more founders uh, and uh, investors I meet, uh, there's one constant advice which keeps going on that hey, listen, you should focus on one idea at a time. You should build one company at a time. Yeah. You're not Elon Musk. Yeah. You can't do this. Yeah. Uh, and here we are. You are on the board of uh, Model Rakya. You're a co-founder at VC Gamers. Yeah, and you are a co-founder at Up Banks. Yes, I'm also a board member at Bemas Invest, a Perfect. social investing startup. Perfect. How does this work? Yeah. So, uh, I believe that no entrepreneur succeeds alone. So, just to give you an idea, at Model Rakya, I have three co-founders. Mm-hmm. At VC Gamers, I have three co-founders. At uh, Upbanks, I have two co-founders. So three, three, two, eight, 
and I have uh, three co-founders at Bemus. So I have 12 <laughs> co-founders out there, <laughs> right? So that's like having your own football team. Exactly. So I also want to dispel this myth. Like I don't, I honestly don't believe that Elon Musk achieves everything that uh, Tesla or SpaceX or Solar City or uh, Neuralink achieve alone. Mm-hmm. He has probably dozens of hardworking executives, right? Co-founders, board members, shareholders in those companies, they're actually doing the hard day-to-day operational work, building value mm-hmm. for the company, mm-hmm. right? But Elon Musk is the figure uniting it all. He builds the narrative, right? Correct. He ensures that synergy between these different companies exists, mm-hmm. right? And he makes sure that they're united in a single vision, right? So I think of it that way. I don't believe in a solo entrepreneur that, uh, I hate the term self-made, especially when I'm reading all these different uh, magazines. Oh, self-made. I mean, I don't even know what it means. I mean, you you have you have your supporters throughout the journey. Exactly. I mean, uh, no one is ever self-made. I completely agree with exactly. that. I mean, I think it's a very pompous uh, term. Yeah. Uh, probably uh, a self-ego massage of sorts. Exactly. Right? And, and and we have to think of the employees as well, right? True. Modernaket has 100 employees today. Sure. PC Gamers has 70. Sure. Right? Abings has 40. Bebas has maybe 20. Right? So, we have 250 people working across my four different companies and I have 12 l- leaders that I motivate every day, right? Mm. Uh, we meet regularly offline and online for coffee and I even uh, at some point in time i managed to gather all of them in bali Ooh, <laughs> in okay. one table okay just for us to get to know each other sure so all these different companies all these different uh, co-founders and their only common thread is me sure. in all of their companies <laughs> right so uh i believe in moving far and moving fast together sure. and i believe in me not being the solo entrepreneur that is doing all the work by myself and then uh, uh being perceived as some sort of a superman that runs on caffeine and and mm-hmm. and nicotine and alcohol or, <laughs> or, or all those things, right? But I believe in a in an entrepreneurial mind that is able to bring different people and unite them in a vision. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. it sounds 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 really good. I mean, I, I always believe in theory. <laughs> yeah, in theory as well as in execution, you have executed it. Yeah. Right. I mean, you've already walked your talk. Right, I mean, out there, you are you are actively involved in these four companies, mm-hmm. right? Do you sleep? I sleep. Generally, what's what's the average? On average, average I sleep hour? six to seven hours. Managing four companies. Yeah, guys, but, you can all do it. <laughs> but just last night, actually, I slept for three hours because there was a lot of work to do. Sure, but but it's very rare. It's, it's, it's very rare for me to sleep at like 4 or 5 a.m. like I did last night uh, because of a lot of work that came up. But it's very rare. Most days I can sleep 6 to 7 hours uh, a night. No problem. No issue. In fact, I have to. Otherwise, I would get cranky and become dysfunctional during the day. Same. I mean, I, I can't operate. I can't operate yeah. in my complete sense if yeah. I have slept like less than 7 hours. Yes. And I'm like, boss, whatever your theories are, yeah, four hours entrepreneur should be exactly. for uh, I'm like cannot, and and this is what it yeah. is, and for me the the model of 
entrepreneur being focused on a single idea, a single company, single product is the model that most people do, right? Yep. So why don't I try something different, right? I think it's part of my contribution to the world that uh, we just do experiment with something different. So right? sure. uh, there's no right or wrong. And this is not a competition, right? Absolutely. But I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, taking on a slightly different approach. In completely with you. Yeah. Completely yeah. with you. Well, I mean, talking talking about talking on multiple entrepreneurship, yes, yeah. which you are into right now. Mm. Let's let's talk about the whole funding winter which we have. Sure. So-called funding winter. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, you you're active in the community over here. Sure. In Indonesia. What are your thoughts? Where are we heading? Uh, yeah, uh, I think this is definitely a difficult time. I just want to recognize that first uh, for a lot of startups, for a lot of founders, for a lot of uh, uh, employees out there. It's a very difficult time. But I also think that this is the best time to build. I agree. Because without the noise of fundraising, correct. without the safety and security and certainty of being able to raise money regardless of the mistakes that you do, this is the best time to build because then you have to be super focused on actually building something that people want. Correct. <laughs> More specifically, something that people want to pay for. Correct. Right. Correct. Uh, there's not going to be confusion. There's not going to be confusion whether this is a good idea, whether this is a good company or not because this is the environment that forces you to think very sharply on that. Sure. And and I have to admit, uh, I made some adjustments in all my companies too since the funding winter, mm-hmm. right? To ensure that we are uh, directing the right amount of time, money, and energy to the right areas sure. in order for us to build sustainable business models. Sure. So I personally think it's a blessing. Uh, well, like, yeah. even, even historically, that, that's been proven true. Like, for example, you look at the rise of Amazon or yeah. Google. Mm-hmm. It coincides with the dot-com burst. Exactly. Bubble burst in yeah. US. Uh, I mean, I, I, I agree. I believe only the resilient ones, yeah. only the resilient founders, resilient teams within yeah. these uh, startups uh, would survive. And I I mean, I believe it's it's a cleanup of sorts. Uh, yeah. Much, much due probably. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I agree as well. Okay. Uh, let's let's do a quick segment mm-hmm. which we want to have as a constant throughout mm. all the episodes we're gonna shoot. Sure, right. So uh, just just consider me one of the investors, prospective investors. <laughs> okay, and uh, you gotta do a, a elevator pitch. Right, right. So you you got a minute. Uh, I'll time it. You got a minute. You gotta pitch up banks. Okay, to me. Okay, okay, okay. So whenever you're ready. Cool. So at Upbanks, we are trying to serve Indonesia's uh, $80 billion creative economy that basically provides uh, jobs for uh, 60% of the country's workforce. What we're trying to do is to give all of these people access to financing and the tools that they need to be able to do their jobs and to be able to unleash their creative minds. So the way we do this is using artificial intelligence uh, in order to do one, build a credit profile that would grant access uh, 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 financing for these people. And then the second one is uh, a generative AI tool for all of these creative minds to generate content at scale, which I believe 
these two things will create a positive feedback loop in which more productive businesses, more productive minds will be able to uh, show more uh, strengthened credit profiles, which then will be able to uh, 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 allow them to raise more financing and then do more work. Where do I wire the money? Hmm? Where do I wire the money? <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like 2021. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. It does. Definitely 2021 <laughs> sounding. <laughs> it does. Hey, give me your bank account. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, definitely. So, uh, okay. Uh, I mean, we are moving towards the last leg uh, of, of this chat. So, what's what's next? What's next for Wafa uh, and our banks? Sure. Well, uh, right now I'm super laser focused on improving uh, the sustainability and the unit economics uh, across all of my companies. Sure. So right now, every day, in and out, I'm laser focused on doing that. To get to a point where, assuming that we don't do further fundraising, we will continue as sustainable sure. businesses. But we know exactly that's not what's going to happen, right? Eventually, the market will recover. The market will correct itself. Exactly. And eventually, the fundraising market will recover. Mm -hmm. But there's no point in worrying and there's no point in waiting. There's no point in suspending or postponing things mm -hmm. just because we're waiting for things to get better. Mm -hmm. So, it, uh, for me right now, the right uh, uh, direction uh, to which I direct my focus and energy is to making sure all the companies uh, are able to con uh, continue to run, continue to grow uh, at a, a decent rate. Sure. Even if assuming that we don't do any further fundraising, but we know it, that's not going to be the case. Well, I mean, but 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 so it's it's a good mindset. It's yeah. a very good mindset. I believe most startups should adopt this mindset because the uncertainty, at least for the next twelve to eighteen months, yeah, is definitely out there. Right, so yeah, I mean, it it it's uh makes sense. How about up banks expanding to the other countries mm -hmm. in Southeast Asia or elsewhere? I mean, I mean, look, the creator economy is pretty massive uh, in Indonesia for sure. Correct, but I believe it's it's growing pretty quick in Philippines. Uh, from what I understand, mm -hmm. uh, South American countries. I mean, Brazil and Mexico are insane. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to this, uh, any any plans? Yeah, so uh. Just to give you an idea, right now we are across all of my companies. We're focused on Indonesia for the first phase. Okay. So, uh, Upbanks we have about two thousand uh, customers. PC gamers we just hit one million users milestone. Last Congratulations. Month. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Modalaket is going extremely fast as well. We just hit, I think, uh, one billion dollar uh, disbursement uh, milestone uh, earlier uh, uh, this year. So. And all of those things happen just by focusing on Indonesia, right? Sure. But we see regional expansion uh, opportunities for uptings and PC gamers, because by nature Make these sense. products are global. Global, and there's no not much of a regulatory blockage out there. Exactly. Either ways. For upbanks and Modarakyat, realistically, mm -hmm. yes, you can technically launch in different countries, but there's going to be regulatory barrier sure. that you have to uh, go through, right? Sure. And just based on uh, previous startups, Indonesian startup experiences and ex expanding to different markets, mm -hmm. I think it makes sense to focus on Indonesia first. I wouldn't say I'm an active angel investor, but I do dabble a bit in investing. Sure. What, what, what do you look for? I mean, these are very early stage, pre-revenue, mostly. 
company what are the attributes which you look for definitely i look for founders who are passionate mm-hmm. uh in 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 what they're building that's sure. super super critical sure because you have to be passionate uh for what you're building right and then secondly is actually uh the adaptability of the product okay now we know that ideas change startups pivot all the time correct right correct uh how adaptable is the business is the company is the product mm-hmm. if it's already too big or if the founders are already too fixated on a single idea or a single rigid. product too rigid right uh too attached to a single product or single mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. it's probably going to be very hard because at the end of the day we know that investing in startups is actually investing in the founders sure right so that flexibility and adaptability uh, uh is very very critical for, uh, for 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 me as an angel investor uh actually look at the potential for synergy yeah okay interesting with, with my with your ecosystem yeah, yeah with with my ecosystem correct because i believe in partnerships i believe in collaborations i believe mm-hmm. in synergy and of all the companies that i'm currently involved in uh you can easily see the synergy right mm-hmm. so upbanks um basically works with modarakat modarakat is the financing partner yeah. for upbanks and upbanks serves the creator economy right Mm. Uh Bembas is building a social investing platform in which financial influencers basically provide uh uh, uh basically investment content yep. for followers, right? And Fisi Gamers is squarely focused on building the gaming ecosystem, right? Providing a marketplace for gamers to trade. And gaming is a very very uh specific vertical within the creator economy that is a bit different from absolutely every I mean, other I mean they operate very differently exactly they operate yeah. very differently but yeah. it is also global sure and it's huge sure and gaming actually contributes i think while i was at youtube 40 to 50% of total youtube watch time i'm sure a single yeah. vertical right yeah. so uh there are all these different synergies mm-hmm. so when i invest i look at uh potential synergy okay. so i cannot suddenly invest in something that has nothing to do with all of the other companies sure so for me that's a very important point as well so if if let's say uh let's say a budding entrepreneur mm-hmm. uh, wants to reach out to you sure right uh wants to reach out to you they they he or she feels that there are synergies yeah uh how do they do that i mean do you generally accept people coming through recommendations or uh, do you have a outlet how do you do that i mean this for the audience as well if someone's building and want to wants to get in touch with you how do they do that yeah uh well i get cold calls and cold messages all What the time mean? yeah nice okay on 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 linkedin and instagram and email and sometimes my whatsapp number for I, i love it to be honest i mean yeah. i appre- always appreciate people especially entrepreneurs yeah. uh, who have this audacity to actually reach out to someone yeah. very cold yeah i i i mean there's a very thin line between being a creep as well as yes a cold message but i i feel that that shows a lot of passion as well as that uh that grit, grit and i feel shamelessness as well yeah. i believe you got to be you got to be shameful to be an entrepreneur uh, right in in demanding things and asking for stuff if you want something you have to go get it go right? get it yeah absolutely but i would say probably in all of the cold calls and cold messages that i get uh, only 1% stand up right well i mean that is that yeah. is where you differentiate exactly right has the person does, done his study Yeah. I mean are you really conveying the right message out? Yes, there? I I agree completely. So typically how I meet founders that I invest in or partner with are 
basically this one percent that really really stood out sure right sure it's not just uh trying to reach out and arrange a meeting without any contact, contact. or maybe trying to sell me something right <laughs> this is what people typically do true true, true. Uh, that's the 99 percent. but this one percent sure. typically come up with a super interesting idea mm -hmm. and it's probably now already a product that is live somewhere sure that i can actually use and then maybe being used by someone that i know for example mm -hmm. or uh, solving a specific problem that I'm aware of, right? Mm -hmm. And typically, those things are interesting. Nice. And a another way is typically interestingly, is through uh, me being as a customer. So okay. So okay. when I'm a customer of a certain product or service, I'm typically always interested in knowing who 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 are the founders of this sure. company that sells sure. a product or service. Yeah. Right? Uh, and a lot of collaborations and partnerships happen that way as well for me. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I think that's also basically goes back to the idea that if you build a product that people want to use, mm. eventually people will discover your product, right? True. And if it's really, really good, people would reach out to you Got organically, it. right? Got you it. don't even need to reach out to them. They sure. will come to you. True. I agree completely, completely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, probably my second last question sure. before we let you go. Uh, what would, what, what are the segments or sectors in Indonesia where you feel that the next big business can be created? Hmm. Other than the sectors that I'm currently in because I'll yes. be biased then. No, oh. I mean, other than the sectors with yeah. where you are, uh, where you are invested directly, indirectly right now. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, uh, I would say the advertising industry, I think, it's a massive industry in Indonesia that is ripe for disruption. Uh, I think there's a lot of inefficiencies. There's a lot of uh, bottlenecks in the uh, in the advertising industry, and there's a lot of problems that can actually be solved through tech. Sure. That not a lot of people have uh, 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 tried to. Um, so I think that's very interesting, and the reason why this is uh, uh, important for me is because. Indonesians are typically not willing to pay for stuff. So which means for most companies, for a lot of companies that don't charge uh, commissions or fees or uh, interest, they have to then serve ads. Correct. <laughs> to make money. Right? Correct. So if the model uh, continues to run this way, then I think the advertising industry is uh, going to continue to grow. Sure. Right. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there. We did not ask him to talk about this, like especially the advertisement part. We are solving this. Okay. Uh, at least we are trying to at Kathak. We are trying <laughs> to solve this. Uh, so yeah, it I was, swear, it, I, it wasn't a paid yes, one. I swear, I didn't know that you guys were trying to solve this. But but maybe because of my experience at Google, YouTube, right, and right now in the creative economy, it's basically uh, 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 native advertising, right? That what Agreed. content creators do. Right? True, true, yeah. true, true. So I think, but specifically for the. Concept of advertising itself, I think there's a lot of problems to be solved there as well, especially in the developing countries. I completely agree. Yeah, where where the consumers are in large numbers, but they're not really willing to yeah to pay easily. Yeah, uh, I agree. I yeah. agree. And uh, the final question, sure. Uh, I think there's a second sector actually. Oh, please, that I please, think, please, please. Uh, could be big in Indonesia as well. Sure. It's actually the uh, mental health sector. Okay, I think I believe that mental health is a problem that a lot of people just basically 
glance over. Like, okay, it's an issue. Uh, here's some therapists. Here's some programs, right? Mm-hmm. Here's some support uh, 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 centers that you can go to, blah, blah, blah. But it's not being seen as a critical problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bottleneck in the economy that needs to be solved. I, I, I personally feel that the identification mm-hmm. of one one having a mental issue yeah. is the biggest bottleneck. Yes. Uh, I've, I've, I've had first-hand experience with people who are close to me mm-hmm. who have just kept burying themselves with social media, uh, with consuming... Mm-hmm. Uh, Mindlessly scrolling. Yeah, mindless scrolling, uh, indulging in in alcohol to numb themselves. Yeah. Uh, whereas gradually they figure out that, okay, hey, there is something wrong. So I believe that whole uh, recognition of the fact that there is a problem uh, is massive. I, believe, I, I, I completely agree with you. That can be one very destructive uh, industry. Yeah. Right? I mean... I don't know, maybe a test or whatever, which basically at least tells you that what is your mental health score. Yeah. I mean, you have your credit score. Let's let's have this as well. Exactly. Right. I mean, we have all the data points, how much time you're spending, what you're doing spending on. Uh, it, it can be done. I agree completely. Yeah. And even though I'm working on AI technology, right, I believe in the fundamental strength of the human mind. I'm a big fan of the Dune series, right? Sure. Frank Herbert. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, basically, the, the the series focuses on the, the strength of the human mind. Correct. So imagine if the full potential of the human mind, so this goes beyond mental health. This this now reaches uh, uh, to mental strength discussion, sure. right? If we can fully unleash the potential of the human mind and enable people to uh, enhance their mental strength, I think it's going to be boon to... Industries everywhere. I'm sure. No, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Especially with the rise of AI, I believe we should get ready. It's even more critical. <laughs> it's even more critical. Exactly. Great, great, great. Uh, so the final question, how was your experience today? Uh, do you think we missed anything uh, which you would want to answer or you want to share about? Um, I think... One thing that I probably want to say is that um, Indonesia as a country is now at a crossroad, right? It's elections here, right? Uh, and uh, we're in a very interesting time. Sure. Geopolitically, right? With changing interests, uh, shifting uh, power dynamics, blocks and power dynamics, etc. So it's a actually a very interesting time. And uh, for a lot of Indonesians, uh, this could be a very rare moment to sure. make tremendous change in your life, right? And to see and to make impact. So whenever there's a crisis, there's always an opportunity. True. Especially in changing times. It's typically when change can easily happen. Correct. And there's no greater opportunity, a greater time to be able to make impact and to make ch- great changes in your life when the entire world is changing dramatically. True. Yeah. So... I would say, go and do it. Do it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Wafa. Very well. Uh, I I really hope that you had a good chat uh, with us. I did. And uh, please download Kurtitik app later. We'll try it. We'll read some news out there. For sure. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care of it. Yeah.